My dearest Lucy, receiving your letter was like all of my birthdays and all of the Christmases and Easter's and Valentine's all come at once. Someone did once tell me that when you get a letter from someone you love, if you miss them enough, you can smell their scent on the letter. I'm unsure if that's true, because your letter just smells of metal and oil, and knowing you, you could have spilt that quite easily on the page. Remember that perfume you got me? The one mother said only ladies of the night wear. I have sprayed some onto the paper. And I hope it reminds you of me, if even a little. I am torn, Lucy. My heart tells me that this is what makes you happy, truly happy. I picture you sat at my desk, tinkering with my father's pocket watch, and I see your face so serene, and I know that I am truly blessed. Buying stolen goods. Luce, I'm worried you will put yourself in danger, get yourself into trouble. And I do not know how I could live with myself if you ever did. I do not wish to chastise you. Please do think this through. If just for me. As for my work, it is getting busier and busier. Henry brings me coffee in the morning, every morning. He makes it at home and brings it in a thermos so it's still wonderfully warm. It's bitter, and I don't think I'm quite used to the taste. But it perks me up and makes me feel ever so sophisticated. In the afternoons, he visits one of the cafes around the university and brings me back a sandwich and soup in that same flask to keep me going all the way through to the evenings. For we are often working late now. Often we work by candlelight, even though our offices are fully lit with the latest electrical bulbs. For some reason, they seem to be broken recently. They flicker and dim as I try to study. And the room grows cold, even in the middle of the day. We've repeatedly brought it up with the faculty. They swear there is not a single fault in the system. I feel they're just trying to sweep it under the rug. We're not the most exciting researchers. I know what you're thinking, Lucy. Henry has told me what the professors in America get up to taking every single one of their students to bed, cheating on their wives with every pretty little thing that comes their way. But he isn't like that. Henry is the perfect gentleman and treats me like his equal in a way that no other professor ever has. He's trusted me with some new work now that I have translated the Sumerian texts. Called these Antilucan. But something isn't quite right with that. It's hard to explain. The language of it, it seems older somehow. The words, the cadence, grammatical rules, they all would have been outdated by the time all known Antilucan texts were written. How do I frame this in a way you would understand? Imagine someone gave you a car and told you it was brand new, and everyone around you told you it was brand new. But the engine, despite the condition, was a design from half a century ago. That's how this new text feels. It tells stories of wonderful things, Lucy. Of tales from before the Christian scriptures, or even before the pyramids. Of ancient gods and guardians. 
creationists that I have never heard before. There's magics too, Lucy. Remember when we used to sneak into the woods behind your summer house? And strip naked and dance around the fire? We thought we were witches. And cast spells and hexes on those who had wronged us. Do you remember when, the week after, Elsie Davids fell down the schoolhouse stairs and we were sure we had done it? I do not know if you remember, or if you'd notice, but I was scared for weeks. My logical brain told me it was just a coincidence. But what if it wasn't? What if we had done that? Civilization. They believed we could have. We could have done much, much worse. We could have sold our souls for anything that we wanted. I wonder what we have. Back then, if the opportunity had arisen, I wonder if I would now. For what worth is a soul if left alone? If an ocean lies between its two halves? I lie awake at night and I ask myself, would I sacrifice my soul to see you again? I found a protection spell in one of the readings, and before I knew it, I was reading it aloud, if under my breath. This language, which has not been spoken in so long, I was curious as to what the words sounded like, how they felt in my mouth. After all, language was meant to be spoken, not written down. And I thought of you, Lucy, with every word I spoke. I didn't even realize it at first, till I looked up and saw Henry staring at me with a strange smile on his face. I apologized for speaking aloud, and he assured me he didn't mind. It didn't stop my embarrassment, though. <laughs> oh, I apologize for this tangent, Luce. I must be working too hard, for I find my mind often wanders these days. Maybe I am coming down with something. But I feel we are so close to a really big breakthrough with my research. It pains me to even think of taking a day off, a day away from my notes. And I know if I tell Mother, then she will worry, and Father will remind me that the workplace is no place for a young lady, and all my work will come to an end. And for what? For nothing. So I will soldier on, my dear Lucy. For once I become the most famous professor the world has ever seen, and applied to Deacon. You see, I did my research. They will have to take me. And the two of us can get a house on the outskirts of the city, close enough to the countryside that I can take my walks, but still close enough to the city that the garage that I will open for you will always be bustling with business. Do you remember the old maid? The one father fired because she was unchristian. She told me that if you visualize something enough, it will come to pass. Until I see you again, I will visualize our next meeting, Lucy. I still remember your face with perfect clarity. It would be impossible for me to ever forget. With all the love 
I have ever felt in my heart. You are dotty. My dearest Dottie, I smelt the perfume on the letter even before I opened it. You put so much on there that I'm sure every letter that came across the ocean with it will have some trace. Not that I'm complaining. It reminds me of you and should stay just as potent for a while now. I searched around for some kind of perfume for you, but I suppose you'll just smell the motor oil. But on to more important matters. I promise you that I am keeping myself safe. Nothing that I am doing is dangerous, please trust me. If it was, you know I would be fine. I have been in much worse situations. Like when Christopher thought that he would bully us and I beat him up. That was worse danger than I'm in right now. Don't worry about it, darling. I promise. I will be fine. I have my wits about me, and plus, who cares about a young boy walking in the streets? This city is bad, but not that bad. I feel safer here than many of the places back home. Night here is nowhere as scary as the streets of London. Speaking of your little electricity problem, though, make sure your handymen know to check the connections in the bulbs. Of forgotten, but important. If not, tell them just to give me a call. Anyway, Dot, you are one to talk. How many times have I told you not to work yourself to death? You work too hard, Dotty, and I worry I am not there to tear you away from your work and take you to bed. God knows neither of your parents will notice and pull you away, and I highly doubt Ray will either. Promise me that you will finish work as soon as it gets dark and actually sleep before dawn. A death from exhaustion may not make the news, but it is just as devastating. It's funny that you mention the professors here sleeping around with their assistants. Word on the street is a professor was shot after his wife found out about his affair. And you know how little I trust the newspapers, so I believe it. Not hard to pay off a journalist or two to wipe your name. God knows father has done it more than once. So he got off scot-free while I imagine his poor assistant is going to be swept to the ground, never to work in academia again. I do feel for her, Dottie. She must be going through the worst days of her life right now. I, however, have been getting some steady work fixing engines. Remember I told you about the man who ran the stall, who thought that he was scamming me? He asked me what I needed all the engine parts for, why I kept coming back. And I can't lie, Dottie. I felt smug. He was amazed I was buying so-called unfixable parts. He didn't think that I could be smart enough to be doing anything with them. 
He didn't believe me when I told him I was fixing them all and selling them on. Put an engine right in front of me and challenged me to fix it, and if I did, I could have it for free. And well, Dot, you knew I could never turn down a challenge like that. It wasn't even the hardest I had done that day. I don't know if he was trying to give me a fighting chance or if he knew nothing about engines at all. Either way, he seemed surprised when I got it working again and handed it over. He offered me a job, Dotty. I think he realises he could sell more engines at a higher price and, crucially, in a higher class market. I won't make as much money per engine as I did before, but, well, I won't need to pay for the engines or the tools, and I can do a higher volume of repairs when I don't need to sneak them in or out of the house. I didn't answer straight away. I did what Ray always told us to do and left him sweating. Came back the next day and demanded a higher percentage of the profits. And I got it. I think he realises just how valuable a service it is. So, I will be working there whenever I want, whenever I can. It will be nice to earn some money that father doesn't control. I could start saving to return home. To return to you. I see so much heartbreak in this city, Dot. Men cheating on their wives, wives cheating on their husbands. Usually I just mark it down to typical toxic heterosexuality, but it seems to affect even the gay couples here. Maybe the city is a miserable place, sucking up all of the love and only spitting out hate. Maybe if you do move here, we will stay out in the country and come in for work. But speaking of couples breaking apart, I told you last time about that nice bar I've been going to. It's called the Red Hand, which I thought was an unusual name, but now I keep using it, it seems to be less odd. What do you think? Anyway, like I said, I like the atmosphere in there, and the whiskey is to die for. This time, though, a man was sat at the bar, pouring his heart out to the bartender. It isn't unusual to see, of course, but this time the bartender's usual facial expression slipped. He's usually so good at being sympathetic, even to the most drunken of patrons. I've seen all sorts of people cry their heart out to him, and he takes it in his stride. But not this time. This time, I could see it was getting to him. So of course, I had to listen in. Dossie, this man pouring out his heart. I think he was the bartender's ex. He was going on and on about how he didn't need him, how he was better off without him. And, dearest Dottie, I prayed in that moment that it will never be us. The bartender kicked him out on the street, though, and I couldn't blame him. In fact, I bought him a drink. He looked like he needed it. He gave me a couple of drinks on the house, wouldn't let me wriggle out of it. And I felt kind of bad, but hey... I walked home with a nice warmth in my belly and a skip in my step. <sighs> Always remember, Dottie, that stories are just that. Stories. You have always been so worried about things like that. Of course I noticed it at the time. Why do you think I took to singing you to sleep? 
But magic isn't real, Dot. And I think you know that just as well as I do. You're a smart woman. The smartest I know. Don't let the fear get the better of you. Until I hear from you again, my love. You're Lucy. Postscript. I hope you don't mind. I reopened the letter to add this before I posted it. One of the other guys who works at the market, Johan, got word of my talents and offered me another job. I'm going to meet with them tomorrow. At this rate, we'll be in each other's arms in no time.